A reading from John 8, 31 through 47. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I have heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your father did. And they said, you were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you do not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's interesting how kind of obsessed our culture is with the idea of freedom. We love this idea, especially as Americans, right? We are the land of the free. That's something that we kind of prize ourselves in being, this people of freedom, the leaders of the free world. Now, obviously, our country has not always honored uh, that value. There was a long period of our history where not all Americans or all people living here were free. But even that struggle, the, the Civil War, this kind of fight for the freedom of all uh, American people, it was couched in freedom. Uh, the Confederate side was said, look, we want to be free. We have states' rights, and so let us be free. And, of course, the Union also couched it in this idea of freedom, the effort to free the slaves, those who are enslaved. As the battle hymn of the Republic says, Jesus died to make men holy. Let us die to make men free. But this idea, it's, it's inviting. People are drawn to it. You, you, you throw it out there. This is for freedom and, and people want to be a part of it. People desire this freedom. Even the movies that we like, you know, particularly the movies that a lot of guys like, 
And movies like Braveheart, movies like Gladiator. These are movies that are all about freedom, trying to become free, trying to gain some sense of freedom. Uh, but even movies and shows that, that, that ladies like, they, they often have kind of a theme of freedom. One tip uh, for some of you guys wanting to get married, uh, your, your wife or your, your girlfriend will really like it if you watch a show with her that she really likes. And so because of that, I'm proud to say that I've seen every episode of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> and it's, a, it's, it's actually really good entertainment, but it's kind of couched in this freedom narrative or this coming of age narrative would be more precise. You know, where Lorelai doesn't want to take the easy road, the path that's been laid out to her by, by her mother, Emily. She wants to be free. She wants to make her own path. She wants to kind of follow her own course and her own way. This is everywhere, this freedom narrative. Uh, and we are seeing it even more and more. Uh, people say these days, you do you. We're people that are concerned with freedom, but I think it's important that we stop and ask ourselves the question, what is freedom, right? Why is this so important to us? What does it mean to actually be free? How do you achieve true freedom? These are very important questions, and I, and I think the passage today really speaks to this. So the first thing I want to look at with you is what is freedom, Jesus has been teaching at the Feast of Booths. And if you've been with us uh, over the past few weeks, we've been here, chapter seven and eight. He's at this one feast and this teaching goes on and on. And it's an incredibly important section of the gospel of John. Jesus in a number of different ways is, is saying to the people that he is God, that he is from God. And he's revealing the truth of his godness to them. He said, for example, I am a river of life, right? I'm the one that can truly satisfy the thirsts of the world. I'm the one that can satisfy the, the longings of your soul. He said last week, I am the light, right? I am the one who brings the light into the darkness. I've overcome darkness. And this week he's saying, I am the truth, right? And the truth will set you free. He's revealing his identity. He is, he is saying to the people, I am the one that's from God. I am the river. I am the light. I am the truth. God has come to visit us in the person of Jesus. And I want to stop here for just a moment and speak into this. You know, there, there, there's inevitably going to be a time in your life where you question that, has God really visited us in Jesus, right? Can, can I really trust that Jesus is from God? Can I really trust these accounts about Jesus in the Bible? And, and I just wanna say, if that's where you are, that's okay. I, I think we've all been there at one point or another in our life. I want Christ's covenant to be a place where you can wrestle with these things and ask these questions, a safe place to admit that you have doubts. But I do just wanna encourage you in this. Now, even for me and my soul, as I've been studying these texts and seeing what God is doing in the Gospel of John, seeing how Jesus has been revealing himself, it's just so reaffirmed in my soul that he really is the, the river, the water that satisfies us. That he really is 
the light, that he really is the truth. And so I, I just encourage you, if you're here today and you're kind of in that moment of doubt, to, to stay in the rhythm of grace, to continue to, to come and be a part of worship, to continue to listen to the word of God and let the Lord speak to you. What Jesus is saying here, and this is so important, he's answering the question about freedom. And what he says is, is really groundbreaking, and I want you to hear this. He is saying that the way to freedom the real way to real freedom, this freedom that we all long for, the way to freedom is truth. If you wanna be free, if you wanna be really free, you have to know the truth. You have to be of the truth. It is the truth that sets you free. And it's not just the truth or a truth, it's the truth, right? It's the truth that will set you free. And I think this is an important distinction to make, that there is a truth, there is the truth that actually comes from God, that actually comes from a, the creator, that actually comes from the one who designed all things. That truth, the true truth, will set you free. And of course, we live in an age where truth is kind of under fire. It's kind of hard to understand. It's hard to know what is true. Before the Enlightenment, people sought truth from God, right? People would say truth comes from above. They would look up for truth. Now, this isn't to say that people always got the truth, right? People would often manipulate uh, Theology, they would manipulate what God had said to kind of control people. Actually, one of the reasons I believe the Bible so much is that for a long part of church history, the church actually wrongly kept the Bible away from the people because they thought if the people have it, it'll be too powerful. They'll, they, they, we won't have any control over them. It's like God himself will be speaking to them, which is, of course, what he does. So it's not that people don't manipulate these things or manipulate what God has revealed. But in the enlightenment, at least, in that of our history, most people believed in God. And so this notion was that truth is from above. But through the enlightenment, that, that narrative kind of changed. People said, well, no, hold on. Truth is not from above. Truth is from what you can observe, right? Truth is in science, right? So the scientific method, how do we observe things? How do we build the world? Now, in the same kind of way, people take science and manipulate it to try to control people. But there was a notion, and, and most of us, you know, probably grew up in this kind of era that truth is from what's observable. Truth is from kind of the world around us. But we, we've moved into more of a postmodern uh, age where we're very concerned with the psychological self, right? How do you interpret the world? How do you understand what is true? Uh, people say things like, live out your truth, or how do you understand truth? Um, and this is a very popular message, right? Live your truth, right? Who doesn't, who doesn't want to be in control of the truth? Who doesn't want to be able to determine what is true and not true? Just live your truth. Kind of sounds amazing. To quote Tears for Fears again, everybody wants to rule the world, right? But this message, the message of the psychological self, even though it's incredibly inviting, live your truth, does it really free us? 
That's a good question. Does living out your truth really set you free? Is, is it the kind of truth that actually leads to freedom? And the answer is no. Everybody wants to rule the world, but nobody can. Nobody's able to hold the weight of it all. Nobody's able to actually pull that off. We, we can't hold up morality because we aren't very moral. We can't hold up justice because we aren't just. And beyond that, we just have incredibly, an incredibly limited amount of control over anything. We can't control the weather. We can't control the economy. We can't control sickness or disease. I mean, I mean who among us may not get a diagnosis this week? It could change our lives forever. We certainly don't have any control over what happens when we die. So the psychological age may say, live your truth, look within for truth, right? Before the enlightenment, look up. During the enlightenment, look around. Psychological age, look within. The psychological age may say, look within for truth, but it doesn't really free us. Now, this is not just the problem of the modern self. This idea of having a narrative that isn't really the true narrative has been around for a long time. In fact, it's what Jesus is dealing with in this passage. Look at verse 33. Jesus is confronting their sin. He's confronting who they are. He's confronting that they have not seen what is true. And they say, hold on. We don't need to be free. We don't need to be set free from anything. We are the offspring of Abraham. We're the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Now, that's a very interesting statement. Don't just blow right through that because let's review the history of Israel. We have never been enslaved to anyone. Well, what about when they were slaves to Egypt? <laughs> What about the Assyrian captivity when the Assyrians took them over and made them servants and took their land or the Babylonian captivity? Or what about all the captivity that the people of Israel had to endure from the Persians to the Greeks? And even as they're saying this, they're under Roman rule. We are the offspring of Abraham, but have never been enslaved to anyone. This is not true. This is fake news. This is your truth. And Jesus confronts this in the most in the most direct way, the Hebrew culture was very concerned with kind of their line, their family line, right? You see it here. We are of our father, Abraham. We are the offspring of Abraham. But Jesus kind of doubles down here and says, hold on. Not only do you have the problem of your geopolitical slavery, but you actually have a bigger problem than that. You think you're the son of Abraham, but really, you're not a son. You're a slave. That's a very direct statement. That would have come as a great affront to them. You think you're a son of Abraham, but you are really a slave to sin. Look at verse 34. He says, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And he goes on. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And, and right here, Jesus is inserting this incredible little gospel line, this gospel news. 
The truth is that they were slaves to sin. The truth is, so are you, so am I. And the slave, here's what Jesus says, it's a warning. The slave does not remain in the house forever. What Jesus is saying here is right now you're in sin and there is a common grace. You're still in the house, even though you're in sin. Israel had received God's goodness even though they were in sin, but a slave doesn't stay in the house forever. There will be a consequence. Even though right now you may be receiving some sort of common grace, there is a consequence. You are a slave to sin. Only the son remains in the house forever and it's only the son who can set you free. You, you, you only can do your truth for a time, right? You do you or live your truth only works until it runs up against the actual truth, right? The slave only stays in the house for a time. There, eventually it runs up against a consequence. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor in Germany when Hitler came into power in the 30s. And the Lutheran church, which was kind of the church in Germany at that time, some leaders like Dietrich Bonhoeffer were very skeptical of Hitler, right? Hold on, we, <laughs> we've got to speak against this guy. This is wrong. But other leaders kind of went along with it. He kind of gave them a vision for their nation. Things were getting better economically in Germany under his leadership. But Bonhoeffer knew better. He knew that this was not right. And he said in one of his sermons, this very powerful statement that's always stuck with me. He says, the law of God takes fearful vengeance when it is attacked or distorted. The law of God takes fearful vengeance when it is attacked or distorted. And what he meant by is what I just said, that your truth only works until it runs up against the truth, there will be a consequence. Now, sometimes the law of God takes quick vengeance. It's actually, these are easier laws to obey, right? Like the law of gravity. I'm not gonna tell the whole story, but some of y'all know, one time I really thought I could fly. Um, I was a kid, I had seen the movie, The Boy Who Could Fly. Don't let your kids watch that movie if they have a big, imag they have a big imagination. And so I went up on top of the monkey bars and I jumped off thinking, here goes, I'm gonna be the boy who could fly. And the law of God called gravity kicked in really fast and I fell to the ground and broke my arm because that's what happens. There was a vengeance, right? I, I, my truth, my truth was I can fly, but my truth ran up against the truth called gravity, called this law of God, and it took fearful vengeance on me. It was a horrible experience. But sometimes the law of God doesn't work so quickly. Sometimes the vengeance of the law of God doesn't happen so fast. If you're a liar, I just wanna say this to you. If you're a liar, you may get away with that for years, not be found out. People might believe whatever lies that you're telling. But the law of God takes fearful vengeance when it is attacked, when it is distorted. If you're a thief, again, you may get away with that for a long time. You may be incredibly shrewd, but the law of God 
always takes fearful vengeance eventually. If you have some sort of sexual sin, again, I just want you to hear this, that could stay hidden for years. There may not be an immediate consequence. You may not feel the immediate vengeance of God, but it will come. The law of God, when it is attacked or distorted, takes fearful vengeance. There's an article by Wendy Plump. It's a long time ago, 2010 in the New York Times. It was, it's called A Roomful of Yearning and Regret. It's a very powerful article. And she kind of accounts the story of an affair that she had and how exciting it was for a time. And she talks through the whole process of being found out and talking to her friends about it and what it did to her marriage. And it's a very powerful article. But at the end of the article, she says this. If you were 75, which would you rather have? Years of steady, if occasionally strained devotion or something that looks like a leaf eaten away by caterpillars where all that remains is the midrib and some ghostly connective tracery in between, not enough to even hold a drop of rain. From where I stand now, it all just looks like a cheap hotel room whether you're in that room to have an affair or to escape from the discovery of one. And there's no view from this room that's worth having. You know, sometimes this is what the vengeance of God looks like. Mourning and regret years later. The law of God always takes fearful vengeance when it is attacked and distorted. It it may be a long time, but it will come. You do you, your truth. It isn't freedom. It isn't freedom. Even though it may feel like freedom, it it never is because it always eventually will run up against the real truth. You aren't really free when you just do what you want to do. I want you to hear this. You're only free when you do what you want to do when what you want to do is what you ought to do, right? You're, You're only free when you do what you want to do, when what you want to do is true, when what you do is what you ought to do, when what you want to do lines up with what is real, what is true. And see, this is the problem with all of us is that we don't do what we ought to do. We're a slave to sin. And the slave doesn't stay in the house forever, but the son does. There's really only one person who's proved himself to be the son. There's only one person who's really done what the father does. This is what the son does. The son proves himself to be the son because he does what the father does. Jesus always does what he wants to do, right? Jesus is always true. He was always true because he always wanted to do what he ought to do. He always wanted to do what the father desired for him to do. And here's the good news. The Son can set you free. Jesus has come to set you free. Jesus has come to lead you, the slaves of the household, to freedom. And you recognize, no, it's not my truth I'm living, but there is the truth out there. And if the Son sets you free, you are free. This is the good news of the gospel. So what is truth, or what is freedom, rather? It starts with truth. You're only free when you do what you want to do and when what you want to do is what you ought to do. And so in order to be free, you have to know what you ought to do. You have to know the truth and not just your truth, 
but the truth. But secondly, what does freedom look like? And here's the answer. The person who is most free, all right, I want you to hear this. The person who is most free is the person who is most like God. That is freedom. That is true freedom. Jesus is saying to these people, you aren't of Abraham. You aren't of Abraham. I know that you're not the children of Abraham because you don't do what Abraham does. And I know that you are not the children of God because you don't do what God does. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. I've not come of my own accord, but God has sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? Why do you not understand what I say? And he answers, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. What he's saying here is if you really knew God, you would, you would, you would be free. But if you really knew God, you would recognize the son. If you really knew God, you'd be able to recognize his son. I can't tell you how many times somebody that I have known, you know, for a long time, and maybe I haven't hung out with them recently, and they come and they, they meet my children, maybe for the first time. I can't tell you how many times this happened. This happened over and over here, and they'll say, oh man, I can tell that's a D's, you know. They see my little boys, and they're like, oh man, I, I, know, I, know, this, I know who this kid belongs to. The son does what the father does, see. The son is like the father. Jesus is saying, if God was really your father, then you'd recognize me. Then you would do what your father does, but you don't. And then he says something amazing to them. He says, it's because you have a different father. You've, you've given yourself over to a different father. Look at verse 44. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do that father that father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar. He's the father of lies. But I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. The other day I was at the collective and someone's there, I, I can't remember who, but it was somebody I didn't know that well, but they volunteer often with Covenant Kids. And so they, they actually know my son Rainer, who's six, more than they know me, right? They've spent more time kind of interpersonally with Rainer in Covenant Kids than, than I've spent with him. And so I did something, I, I made a facial expression. I kind of said something and I had a facial expression. And they said to me, oh, that reminded me of Rainer, right? That, that looks like Rainer. And I thought that was really interesting, right? Rainer got the facial expression, both, you know, by nature and nurture, right? For me, right? I, I passed the facial expression on to Rainer in a real way, but because this person, even though they didn't really know me that well, because they knew Rainer, they could recognize me as his father. The son does what the father does, but you can see the Father in the Son. This is what Jesus is saying. You're missing the Father because you've missed me. 
You don't know the Father because you can't see him in me. And you are not like him. I can't see him in you. Here's the question. If I were to consider your life, your character, is it like God's? Would I be able to say, oh man, I, <laughs> I know who your father is. I know where your character comes from. Would I conclude, of course that person knows God. Of course that person is of God. They're so free, they're so true. There's this poise about them. There's a humility and a confidence and a joy about them. There's holiness about them. They know God. Is that what I would conclude? Is that what Jesus would conclude? Or would he say, oh, look at this person's life. They're of the devil. <laughs> there's lies. There's no peace in their heart. There's no truth in their life. They're only living for themselves. Every thought is about themselves. Their life isn't built on truth. What would Jesus say? Who are you of? Who do you resemble? Are you of God? Or are you of the devil? Are you a slave? Or are you a son? You know, Paul picked up on this teaching. The Gospel of John was written after the book of Galatians. But this teaching obviously happened before. And so the teachings of Jesus, even before they were recorded in John, were talked about. They were around in the church. And so Paul picked up on this in Galatians 4. If you have your Bibles, turn over there with me. He's picking up on this whole like son and slave. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does kind of language. Galatians 4 verse 1, Paul says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date that is set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Look, here's the deal. We all come today as slaves. That's where we all start Slaves to the passions of our hearts, slaves to our own desires, slaves to live our truth. But there is a son. There is one who came as the true son, the son of God, faithful to the father, who always desired to please the father. And he came 
to live like us. The amazing thing about Jesus is he submitted himself to the household. He put himself underneath the guardians and the managers. He, he became just like us. He, he became just like the slaves in the household. He became a brother to you and to me. You know, there's this theme in the Bible of the warring brothers. You see it all throughout the Bible. Cain and Abel, right? Esau and Jacob. Uh, to some degree, Moses and Pharaoh. You see it in the New Testament, in the story of the prodigal son. The warring brothers, right? They all want the blessing of God. They all want the blessing of the Father. So to get the blessing of the Father, to be the favored one by the Father, you know what the brothers do? They try to cheat the other brother. They try to put the other brother out so that they can get the blessing of the Father to themselves. That, that, you see that? That story is all throughout the whole Bible. Jesus came to be like a brother to us. He submitted himself to the same, as the old catechism says, all the miseries of this life. He put himself under the managers and the guardians of the household. He became like us, but he was really the son. The inheritance was really his. And unlike all those warring brothers in the Bible, he was the brother. Rather than putting us out, rather than killing us, trying to bury us in the ground, rather than trying to steal the blessing of the Father away from us, rather than trying to put us to death, rather than trying to cheat us out of the celebration. And unlike all of those other brothers that you see in the Bible, he was the one who on our behalf was willing to put himself out. He was the one that on our behalf, even though he should have only received the Father's blessing, he received the Father's curse against our sin, the consequences, the, remember the law of God takes fearful vengeance, the vengeance that we deserve because we had distorted and attacked the law of God. He was the brother that was, being, was willing to be put out so that we, the slaves, could be adopted, could be brought into the family. And if you believe that, if you believe that you have a brother like that, a savior like that, that changes you, that shifts you, that frees you from this spirit of slavery and brings you into a spirit of sonship and daughtership. And more than that, there's evidence for that. And I wanna give you the evidence that may be happening in some of your hearts right now. There's a spirit that God puts inside of you, the spirit of Jesus himself that cries out to God, Abba, Father. It's, it's to say this, dear father, dear father. Is that spirit crying out in your heart right now? Even right now, is that spirit crying out in your heart? Dear father, I need you. I need your word. Which, which brings us to the last point. We've looked at what truth is. What does it look like? But how do you get it? And it comes in the beginning of the text. Here's how you get freedom. You know how you get freedom? Jesus says, you abide Abide in my word. Come to me. Keep coming to me. Keep listening to me. Keep following my way. Abide in my word. Get life from my word. Look, here's the deal, guys. You and I live in a world where there are narratives all around us. 
There's narratives all around us. There's your truth, but there's also these other truths, right? Everybody's saying this is where importance is. This is where significance is. This is where you can really show yourself to be someone. There's narratives everywhere. There's words everywhere. There's a truth everywhere, but there's only one true truth. Jesus says, abide in my word. And as you look to me, the spirit of God will cry out. You will be drawn to the father. Dear father, dear father, dear father, abide in my word. Is that spirit crying out in your heart today? And if it is, listen to his words, abide in his words, be changed by his words. Repent of all these other narratives and obey. Find yourself in the way of Christ. Let's pray. Dear Father, dear Father, we come to you as former slaves and that our only hope for freedom to be set free from our sin our only hope for truth is our loving and loyal and faithful brother Jesus, who alone is worthy of blessing, who alone is worthy to be called your son, who alone is worthy of praise, but he on our behalf has been put out. He's endured the curse so that we could be brought in. So it's in his name that we pray. It's for his sake, Lord, that we live. And it's in his name and, and by his grace that we cry out to you. Dear Father, dear Father. And as you're crying out to the Lord right now, I, I just wanna give you a moment. If God has opened your heart to something today, if, if there's still evidence of the spirit of slavery in your life, I invite you even now, in the name of Jesus, because of the grace and mercy that God has given you in Christ, to confess those things to God, to repent. Confess those things to God. If God is revealing even a, a hidden sin, confess those things to the Lord right now. The law of God takes vengeance when it is attacked. Confess those things to the Lord. Just spend a moment in repentance right now. But I also invite you, by the prompting of the Spirit of Christ inside of you, that's stirring in your heart to say, Dear Father, I invite you to, to look to Jesus, to look to his cross, to know that God in the cross of Christ has forgiven you of those sins. He's called you to be his son. He's offered forgiveness and mercy and grace to you. I just invite you to receive that, to look to Jesus for it. receive the grace and the love of God. But also in this moment, I, I, I want to remind you and invite you that 
that the cross, that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus doesn't call us to inaction. It, it actually calls us to action. And so as the Lord has revealed these things to you, there, there, there is likely from a place of mercy and forgiveness an action that he's calling you to, to confess that to someone, to get help, to, to make what is wrong right. That's not what forgives you. It's only the blood of Jesus that can forgive you, but it's it's what that blood calls you to. It's what the love of God calls you to because you're only free when you do what you want to do and when what you want to do is what you ought to do. And so in this moment, what is it the Lord is calling you to? Father, I pray that you would speak by the Spirit even as we sing, as we respond. Our hearts will be opened to how you want to lead us and build this church. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen.